The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading for this morning from Mark 16, verses 1 through 7. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, mother of Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that this stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. When Jordan reads, I love it. It's like, I feel like I'm a kid again listening to stories. And You know, um, 1999, good year, transport us back a little bit. Yes, some of you will remember. In 1999, there was a real issue, and it had to do with most of the computers of that time. Uh, a lot of the computers in 99... Uh, dealt with the last two digits. And uh, there was a real f- fear that began, uh, you know, coming up with a lot of people and in the culture, and you could hear it on the radio and on TV, that when those computers rolled over from 99 to 00, that everything was just going to go haywire. It was called Y2K, some of y'all remember this. So crazy uh, that people began stockpiling food, That doesn't sound familiar, does it? Uh, Or other such things. And uh, that, you know, that planes would be flying and then would just fall out of the sky, things like that. It sounds, it's somewhat humorous now, but at the time in 99, everybody was really going, okay, it was on the cover of Time Magazine. You know, people that really were like, that's that's not a real thing. We're kind of like, maybe, you know, there was always that, you know, 15, 20, 25, it kept growing the percentage. That might be a real thing. But, you know, it rolled around. It was an event. It was a big event. And uh, when the clock rolled around, you know, everybody was like, Happy New Year, and nothing happened. Um, And we were okay, thankfully. Uh, This last New Year, um, we were together with family and... uh, you know, 2020 was coming to an end, and, uh, you know, the ball dropped, the clock rolled over, and my brother-in-law hilariously says, yes, the pandemic's over. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. You know, we know how these events work, right? Big events that have come along for years. I mean, the mask thing is interesting because we're so used to it now, we have, like, tailored masks for our work or for, you know, I'm going to get us this kind of mask and this kind of... I mean, think about the events that have come and gone and have had enormous impact in our lives. I mean, remember even having an iPhone. The first time you, I remember seeing an iPhone the first time I saw it and touching the screen and watching things move. I was like, man, what is up? And I got mine later than others. So people were like, okay, catch up, you know. 
those kind of events are big events in our lives. But the question really is, is why, you know, why the resurrection? Is the resurrection, is Easter Sunday just another one of those events that kind of comes and goes? Because if you think about those events, we've gotten used to the masks. Sometimes those events and those huge things that happen, they move on so subtly that now everybody has a touch screen. And if you don't, some people are like, I don't kind of want to go back to a flip phone, you know? <laughs> but they, they, they lay so subtle and, and move away. But what's, why is Easter different? Why is the actual resurrection that we in our church believe that Jesus actually rose from the grave so different than any other event that we've known? You know, have we ever needed an event to celebrate a new beginning than the one today? Have we ever needed that more? Have we ever needed to really understand that the resurrection is true than it is today? You know, we've had a lot of things going on with our family. Many of you have um, asked about, uh, we've had a very long week. Uh, and uh, many of you have said, gosh, of all weeks for the, these kind of events to happen to y'all uh, and to you, particularly talking to me. And I, every time I'm, I'm struck with the thought of, you know what, of all times for it to happen to me, of all times for us to be, you know, our lives to be turned over, for us to be faced with so many different things. For me to be staring down the Sunday that we celebrate the resurrection to inform every other huge event in my life, that's what I've needed. I have needed today. You know, we've been walking through the gospel of Mark, and Mark is the first gospel written. If you're unfamiliar with the New Testament or the Bible, Mark is it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, but Mark was actually written in the 50s, 60s AD. It was first gospel written. It was written as Mark followed around Peter and sometimes uh, listened to the words of Paul. And when he wrote this gospel, the very first thing he says in it, he says, he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only gospel that actually does this. And, and most of us think of that word as a religious word, but what are you saying? That's that word mean gospel. It means good news. It means there was an event. He's trying to say the events at the very beginning of this whole book that he writes are informing us that the event that happens at the very end, this last chapter, is going to change the world. And not just, you know, globally, but change each of our hearts personally. It is something different than any other event. It, trans, it, it, it transforms culture. It transforms and it goes over and above any place. This is why this gospel, this event can be in any place at any time. It can be in another country, in a different language. And yet this event informs every event about us. This is an event that we need for struggling, dislocated, difficult Christians. That's actually why it was written. It was written to Christians in Rome who were being persecuted, who were being pushed out, who were being hurt, killed, who were told they couldn't even worship. But it is a crucial event. I love how N.T. Wright said this about Easter. Take away Easter, and Karl Marx was probably right to accuse Christianity of ignoring the material world. Take it away, and Freud was probably right to say Christianity is a wish fulfillment. Take it away, and Nietzsche was probably right to say Christianity is for wimps. 
The resurrection is key. And so we're going to answer one question, just one question today. Why is the resurrection good news? Different than any other news. Why is it good news? You know, in this passage, when they come, it's good news because they didn't expect an empty tomb. They expected to come after they had seen their Lord and Savior, the one, the teacher that they followed around that informed them of their, the, their lives would be different. They expected this tomb to be full, not empty. And they came to it that way. I was in uh, Publix the other day checking out, and I remember uh, listening. I was checking out, and, you know, it, it, the two people, one checking out, one bagging, they were talking about Easter. And one of them said to the other, man, Easter, it's such a, you know, they were looking just around and people checking out and they were saying, you know, it's one of my favorite holidays. Gosh, I just love it. And the other one said to them and said, gosh, I don't, I'm not a huge fan because it just brings all the pressure, like all the pressure. I'm just not in, into all that. Now, and, you know, I didn't jump in and go, well, I'm a pastor, let me tell you. You know, like, that's not, what you, that's not the card you play, by the way, as a pastor. Uh, then they, everything shuts down, and they're like, uh-huh, I'll check you out. But I listened, and, and you know what was really key, though, was that's what Easter brings for a lot of us, the expectation of pressure rather than freedom. It, it becomes, instead of good news, it becomes news, it becomes us, you know, making this event. We sit around everything for this one Sunday rather than thinking, what is this, how does this inform us about, what does this good news tell us about every other bit of news in our life? They came to this tomb expecting it to be full and it was empty. They came with the news that was just normal about life. They watched him die on a cross. They put him in a tomb. They're grieving. They're going on with their life. They didn't expect this good news to trumpet. That is good news. Mark's book began with the beginning of the gospel because it begins with good news. And the word gospel isn't just a religious word. Some of you may have heard this or know this. But gospel, typically in our circles, we talk about, oh, gospel, that's religious word. For them, it wasn't a religious word. The word gospel meant just, it meant a proclamation of something. In fact, there are, there are uh, you know, oftentimes inscriptions of emperors saying, you know, the gospel according to Emperor Trajan, those kind of things throughout that time period, because it was, it was news of an event that occurred, such as like a, a victory in a war, or a king ascending a throne. And it wasn't news that you could actually give an opinion of. It was news you only gave a reaction to. If it happened, you didn't get a chance to say, well, I don't, I don't know about that. It's kind of like news today. You know, imagine we see this from time to time when uh, a family is out in the middle of a field or a basketball court and uh, they have a loved one overseas in the military and they're they're acknowledging them and honoring them. And all of a sudden, uh, they surprise them by having that loved one come out behind them who's come back from overseas. And the family just goes, I mean, they can't believe it. That's the, kind of, that's the news, right? They don't turn around and go, I don't know. Is that really you? It gives a reaction, immediate reaction. It's the same reaction after we've maybe gone to the doctor and then we come back weeks later and they say, you know, your biopsy came back and it's good news. That's good news. This is what it meant for them, but they didn't expect that. They're expecting this tomb to be full. You know, there are all sorts of ways, and we could talk about this even in, you know, further 
at a time further about the evidences of this tomb being empty. But just the, the, the couple of things there, of the eyewitnesses, the fact that the women are in every account of this are the ones who go to the tomb and are the ones who first hear that it's empty. Because women, even in that time, were not even, uh, their, their testimony in court wasn't even held you know, as valuable. So for this gospel to be written as women being the first eyewitnesses, you wouldn't do that if, you, if there were not something even more powerful behind this event. And even the, the mention of the, the man sitting on the, uh, on the right side dressed in a white robe as they enter and they see him. This figure would have been someone they've just heard of in the Old Testament as, as, as women would hear about, and it frightened them because this is a picture of an apocalyptic figure, angelic in the other gospels it describes. And they were struck with fear. This is something that, that they wouldn't do. And they were even named here because to name them, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James Salome, why, why go through all that? It's because they were still alive at the time and you could go to them and say, hey, was this, is this really true? This was an interviewed account. That is this real? But the question really remains is, how does the resurrection impact me today? I love how Walker Percy, the great Southern writer, said this about big events. He says, it's not the big events that worry me, wars and rumors of wars. In fact, my problem is how to live from one ordinary minute to the next on a Wednesday afternoon. How does today inform tomorrow? How does today actually change the reality of how we live? There's a great New York Times article written um, just a few days ago called The Unsettling Power of Easter. And this uh, African-American man was uh, recounting what it was like growing up as a boy. And he wrote this. He said, that Sunday introduced to me two Easter's that struggle alongside each other. One is linked closely to the celebration of spring and the possibility of new beginnings. It is the show that can be church on an Easter. But the other deals with the disturbing prospect that God is present with us. His power breaks out and unsettles the world. He goes on to say, and he finishes this way, he says, as we leave the tombs of quarantine and return to a normal, normal world would be a disaster. It would be a disaster to try and return to normal unless we recognize that we're going back to a world desperately in need of healing. See, the resurrection, it should unsettle us. We could come here this morning and it could be one of two Easter's. It could be that one where we dress up, one we celebrate once a year, one that has all the fanfare and it is beautiful and we're able to do and it, it is rich and we celebrate it for those reasons. But what are all these things for? Or is it more to an arrow to remind us, to show us of the unsettling power of what the resurrection actually is? And as we have come, as beautifully described, out of our tombs of quarantine, are we gonna go back into normal life and this just be another event, just like wearing a mask on a normal Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday? Or is the resurrection something that informs us of something deeper? 
It doesn't just give a false sense of happiness or celebration. It is an event in history that actually reverses some of history in and of itself. They expected an empty tomb because that is what history typically says. We are used to going, and maybe all of us in some sense have been to some sort of funeral or maybe even a graveside service. And when you go to that service, you're not expecting something to be in reverse. You're expecting exactly what you think, to go and to see a grave and to see the casket and to see that person lowered. They did not receive that. And they expected not just to see an empty tomb, but they expected to go and grieve. They expected to do what all of us would normally do in that situation, to go and grieve. This is why it says that they, brought, they bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. They were asking questions about how do we roll the rock back so we can go in and anoint this body and make it, you know, aromatic because it was gonna, his body was going to begin to decay. They're expecting exactly what we would. And they were expecting to grieve. They're expecting to, to mourn over this. But do you know what their expectations were met with? Complete reversal. We're used to grieving, we're used to having that. We're used to loss. But usually our grief and loss is met with maybe time. Maybe it's a hope mixed with, okay, we'll move past this. Or maybe a, a, a grief that we kind of process through. But to have your hope, have a hope that so swallows your grief and loss, that so swallows it that it says, even in verse 8, that's not even listed here, they left and ran in fear because they didn't even know what to do with what happened. Their expectations of grieving were totally reversed because they're so used to bringing the narrative of how they're typically loved. They walked with Jesus, they were with him, they heard his news, they felt, they understood, especially as second class citizens of the time, they were treated as first class royalty to Jesus. They were healed, brought in, fed, all of those things. And now they're grieving the loss of the one who treated them in a way that no one ever did. And they're thinking, they'll never have that back. But this is what it did. It transformed the narrative of every way that they brought themselves, the way they thought about themselves, the way they believed in them, about themselves to that tomb was reversed. You know, there's a, a, a TED Talk article. It's called Two Kinds of Stories That We Tell About Ourselves. It's an interesting article because it really talks about how we have what's called narrative identities and how we inform ourselves of either redemptive or, um, or uh, corrosive identities. And what this article was talking about, that this expert um, on this concept, he said that we all are building an identity and our story contains heroes and villains. And as we have these heroes and villains, our narrative identity, we want to make a valuable one. So we have stories that try to avoid a contamin what are called contamination stories so that we can have redemptive ones. And he, over and over, it's, the question his research is asking the more, is, and is saying about this is all of us want to have a story where we find our identity more and more positive. It says even in, in this TED Talk that we all want to have a narrative that has more redemptive stories that weigh out the contamination stories. But here's what's fascinating about what they were expecting to do. They were bringing all of their contamination 
to that tomb, not to deal with their own redemption themselves, but what if, what if there's a divine editor instead of us who actually takes our story and changes it completely? That takes all the contamination that we bring to and hence the cross itself. Why is the cross so important? Because it says that Jesus actually deals with all the contamination and all the ways that you and I think we can have redemptive stories that outweigh the good with the bad. But the empty tomb says that your grief turns to hope. Not that you throw away all that happened, but it's swallowed in hope because there's a divine editor that says, all of those edits that you've tried to make in your life are not for naught. I take them up into me and I say, your story is different. It is different. This is why, this is why in, um, we borrow from this off all the time, but the language that says that all things are going, sad will come untrue. The language from J.R. Tolkien who used that in one of his major books but how do all things sad come untrue? They can only come untrue if there's a divine editor who's willing to not just die on the cross, but to come out of the grave to say, I've actually dealt with everything and I'm above it. I've swallowed it. It has been dealt with in me and I have gone past it. Someone who is greater. The things that we know and expect of ourselves that are too bad, too shameful, the secrets that we keep and we don't want anybody to know about. If we're left with just the cross, we're left staring simply that there's a payment for that, but that it just sits. But the empty tomb says that you aren't. It says there's a divine editor that says your story does not stop with just your sin being paid for. You have a new life. You have a completely new story. The expectation that we bring even this morning of everything that we are is overcome by the overwhelming work of God and Jesus. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. He said, he says, the resurrection is God's yes to us. It's his yes to us. Am I really loved beyond what the way I see myself? Am I really loved? Beyond the thing and the pattern and the things that I deal with over and over that seem to not go away. Am I really loved? The resurrection is God's yes to you. All the shame that you bring, all the things that you think about that no one, if anybody knew of them, more or less God, especially coming to an Easter service, would I still be loved? God's yes is for you. Am I really cared for beyond all the cultural expectations of where I'm supposed to be in life, who I'm supposed to marry, how many kids I'm supposed to have, where I'm supposed to live, where my children go to school, if I have a spouse by this time, if I have this job, if I do this, am I really loved? Do I know it? The resurrection is God's yes to you. Am I more than the obsessive work habits that I have? Am I more than the ways that I try and make myself someone 
to everyone around me so that I'm ultimately liked and try to minimize all the dislikes. Am I loved? The resurrection is the event of God's yes to you. That is his yes for us, for us that don't believe that. For those of us that have addictions, those of us that have struggles with constant patterns, those of us who are constantly here thinking, is there ever anything other than news that's gonna inform me and everything else? This is good news. This is an event that swallows up everything else because it is God's yes, yes, yes to you. If there's anything that we needed to inform us of what it means to wake up tomorrow or maybe even walk off this lawn and know that the resurrection is more than just another event, it's more than just news, it's good news, it's the yes to every way that you have diminished yourself or anyone else that you are loved in Christ Jesus. He had to come out of that tomb. He had to do that. He had to do the things that we wouldn't expect because none of us expects to be loved like that. None of us expects to be cared so deeply that the roots of shame are rooted out by someone who went deeper and darker into the corners, not just of our hearts, but in the reality of the earth of death itself, only to come back out so that we know God's yes, I love you, is over you. That is the resurrection. That is Easter. And it should unsettle you that you are that loved. It unsettles them so much that we, I don't even know why it's not on here, verse eight, that they ran away afraid because it unsettled them so much. And you know what? They would eventually tell Peter, and you know why Peter's listed here? Ironically enough, because Peter was the one that informed Mark about these events. Why would Peter's name be one listed? Because Peter was the one. Who was the one that denied Jesus three times? Who was the one who wasn't even able to come to the tomb yet or first with his grief, but was sitting with his shame of denying his Savior, doing all the things that he thought he would never do to Jesus? Where would the news go to first? That would send him sprinting back in the other accounts to peer in, to look into the darkness and see there is no Jesus in the tomb. We all think that our shame and we all expect that our shame and our darkness is going to be the end of us. If the cross is where it ended, that's what it would be. But it doesn't. It ends with an empty tomb. Let me pray for us.